The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 12, Applause. No one objected to Jack's continuing the story right there on the spot. He began. Congratulations, soldier, the otherworldly being said. You have passed your tests, granted with help, and in so doing you have disenchanted the princess. The giants were my sons. Some find their manner rather difficult, but I can assure you they were mostly harmless. If their antics had brought about your death, it would have been but a temporary state. The soldier was neither reassured by her words nor certain of what she was. From her appearance, she seemed to be some sort of fairy closely associated with water. The palace he knew had been made out of an orchid, and it sat perched on an elevation that was surrounded by water. The soldier suspected that the creature now speaking to him and their location were related in a way that he didn't understand. I'm going to go away for a time, the fairy explained, and while I'm gone, you and this noble maiden can have the full run of the castle and indeed all my dominion, which stretches far beyond the bridge over the moat into the forest, even as far as the sea. I would ask you to take care of the castle, and as I said, you can go anywhere you like. However, you must not go into the small room at the top of the tower stairs, the one with the green door. The fairy shimmered and disappeared, and soon the puddle of water that was around her feet likewise shimmered and dried up. The soldier and the princess were very happy together, and they explored the grounds and the many rooms of the castle every day, from first light until dark, discovering new wonders in every room and in every part of the fairy's enchanting gardens, fields, and shores. However, as with any prohibition, as their wonder and delight grew day by day, so did their curiosity about the room with the green door. One day, they were so overcome that they went up to the green door and stood outside it for several minutes. Finally, the soldier put his hand on the doorknob, thinking it was probably locked and the door would not open. However, the door gave way freely, and they both practically tumbled inside. The room was almost bare and green from floor to ceiling. All the shades from a grassy meadow to a stormy sky. There was very little furniture. The most notable thing was a small chest in the middle of the room. It seemed to be made of some kind of green woven wood and was secured with brass hinges and a strong lock. There was an inscription on the box. Green the base and green the lid. Though it looks empty, treasure is elsewhere hid. The soldier went forward and touched the box. It opened easily and appeared to be empty. But no sooner had he touched it than the soldier felt that he was carrying some kind of great weight, although when he and the princess looked, he was unchanged. 
When they went to leave the room, they closed the door carefully, but a single loose silken thread from the princess's clothing was caught in the door. When the fairy returned, she flew into a rage because she found the thread and knew that they had entered the room. This was forbidden to you, even though I gave you the freedom of everything else in my domain. For this reason, I will re-enchant the princess and send her far away. You, soldier, you can set about finding her and making a place for yourselves in whatever world you wind up in. She will be as one wild, and you had better find her before she is either taken into captivity, killed by a hunter, or worse. The princess became a bear again, but before she changed fully, she took the cap from off her head and the boots from off her feet and gave them once again to the soldier. The bear reared up on its hind legs and moaned sorrowfully, as if in farewell before it disappeared. The fairy saw the princess give the cap and boots to the soldier, and she quickly snatched away the rolled-up flying carpet before the soldier could claim it again. She unfurled it, and it shrank until it was only the size of a small wall tapestry. She hung it up and grabbed the golden lad by the collar and shook him. I will keep your companion in the world of this carpet while you are away. The fairy shrank the golden lad down to the size of her little finger and placed him into the carpet. What are you doing? Lucas wrote into the private channel. The golden boy is Ivan in the story and now I'm trapped. Trust me, this way you are safe and dry, at least for now, Jack said. He continued. The carpet itself had taken on a design of the palace, the moat and some of the grounds, becoming a flattened miniature of the world they were in. Be quick, soldier, if you want to see your friend again. In time all carpets fade or get moths and have to be thrown away, and those that remain in good repair still need to be beaten to be cleaned, the fairy said. The soldier turned to leave. Not so fast. You didn't think I would just let you walk out of here freely, did you? The fairy admonished. Three pairs of iron shoes, three iron staves, and three hard loaves, such as the poorest traveler would take on a journey, appeared before the soldier. You will not come to the end of your journey before these three pairs of shoes are worn out, each staff is broken, and each of these loaves has been nibbled away. However, if you do not find what is needful by the time these things are gone, you will lose your love and your helpful friend. The soldier realized that the heaviness he had felt when he opened the box in the small green room was equal to the weight that he carried on his feet, in his hands, and in his pack after he received these strange provisions for his journey. For a moment, he toyed with the idea of putting on the seven-league boots as soon as he was out of sight of the palace. However, he sensed that if he did not proceed in the way the fairy specified, he would not find out how to regain the loved ones he had lost. Feeling that he had no other real choice, he set out. He walked for a year and a day until the first pair of iron boots was worn through, and the staff was broken, and the last of the hard loaves was gone. He came into a clearing in some woods and saw a house built into a hollowed-out tree. Inside the house there was a little old man. He was no bigger than the soldier's thumb, but his beard was so long it went three times around the inside of the treehouse. 
The old man had braided it into several plaits and looped these around his strong arms like rope in order to keep from tripping over his own hair or setting it alight in the fire. He did not speak, but motioned for the soldier to sit down and placed bread and ale in front of him. The old man made signs that the soldier should tell him a story. The soldier began his tale, telling how he defeated the devils. He did not mention that he himself took the treasures. The old man laughed silently, rolling around on the floor until his braids became terribly tangled. When he had recovered himself, he reached into a drawer in an ornate cabinet which was one of the few pieces of furniture he had in his house. He pulled out a small box. Inside the box there was a needle. He poured a small quantity of water on the clean table, and the needle wrote in it quickly, drying momentarily with each stroke made. It said, This needle will rend things asunder. He put the needle back in the box and gave it to the soldier, motioning for him to place it in his pack. Then he took a small spool of thread and set it rolling and indicated that the soldier should follow it. Although it was small, the spool of thread rolled on and on through a year and a day, during which time the soldier wore out another pair of iron boots and broke another staff. This time he found himself on the shore of the sea near an overturned boat that had been made into a simple house. A little old man came out of it. The man likewise was very small, not much bigger than the soldier's previous helper. His beard was neatly cut in the manner of an old sailor, and he smoked a homemade pipe. When the pipe was lit, the old man spoke with smoke rings in the air. When the pipe was cold, he played on it like a flute. He set food and drink before the soldier and asked him to tell him a story. The soldier told the story of meeting the golden lad and how they journeyed together to the enchanted palace that had been a falling orchid. The old man sat in silent wonder, delighting in the soldier's descriptions. From his sea chest, he took out a small box, and in that box there was a needle. The needle jumped forward and began to write in the sand outside the door of the boathouse. It said, This needle will patch things up. He put the needle back in the box and gave it to the soldier, who thanked the old man and went on his way. The soldier walked for a year and a day until at last the final pair of iron boots was worn through and the third staff was broken. Just at the moment when the staff broke, the soldier found himself in a place that looked like a great iron maze with many cages, like the cells below a coliseum. The smell was almost overpowering, and the sounds of suffering and captivity were everywhere. This time, the soldier was not really greeted by the little man who seemed to be the keeper of the cells, and he was not offered food or drink. The wee fellow himself was tethered to his work by a long chain, and he dragged a key ring that was almost as big as he was. The soldier thought that his great eyes had not seen daylight for many years, and he soon realized that the little man was blind. However, he could speak. In a rasping voice that echoed chains dragging across the stone floor, the old man said, I have nothing to give you. Tell me a story. The soldier told him about the giants and about the enchanted bear woman who transformed into the princess that the soldier loved. The old man's sightless eyes filled with tears and he said, 
We have a bear here. She was captured recently, and she is due to die tomorrow in the great arena melee, when the largest of our wild beasts will be brought out into the arena. Chained together, they will be forced to make their last stand against the oldest of the warrior slaves in this troop, who will be likewise chained. The owner wants to move to a different town, and he doesn't want too much excess baggage to go with him. So you could say he is getting rid of much of his stock. New beasts and men can be found easily. The sad old man took a needle from the leather strap he wore across his chest. I will give you this, he said, but though I enjoyed your story, I cannot give it to you as a gift, as you can see that I don't have much. What do you want for it? the soldier asked. My freedom and the freedom of all the creatures here, the little man said. He held out the needle. It appeared bent and rusted. Give me one of yours, the old man said, for this needle may do you the greatest service of all. The soldier was reluctant to do as the old man asked, but the old man looked at him so imploringly that finally the soldier relented and handed over his first needle, the one promising to rend things asunder. The needle flew to each of the locks of the cages and opened them all, beginning with that of the bear. The soldier placed the cap upon the bear's head and she transformed completely into the beautiful princess. Her clothes were in tatters, however, and the soldier gave her his second needle which, as promised, mended everything good as new in the twinkling of an eye all by itself. The soldier took her in his arms and looked over her shoulder as they embraced at the face of the little old man. He was not so little any more. He stood tall and straight and dignified. His eyes were a piercing blue, and he was weaving his hands together as if casting spells. All of the animals and people in the various cages in the dungeon emerged transformed, and the old man led his small army of magical beasts and beings out of the dungeon and away from the arena. Before he left, he made a sign over the bent needle that he had given the soldier. The needle straightened, burnished itself to a point of silver light and disappeared. The soldier felt momentarily short-changed, but the wizard who had been the old man whispered, a silver needle for a golden lad. The soldier took his beloved firmly by the hand, removed the seven-league boots from his almost empty pack and put them on and ran back to the orchid palace as quickly as his feet could carry them both, seven leagues with every step. When they came within sight of the Orchid Palace, they saw that it was beginning to collapse, like a flower that had dried out and would soon blow away on the wind. The soldier ran faster. He wanted to get close in order to retrieve the flying carpet that had been made into a tapestry, remembering that its magical weave held his friend. He hoped he would not be too late and would be able to save the golden boy in time. Inside the palace, a silver needle had suddenly appeared deep in the pile of the carpet hanging on the wall, close to the hand of a small, bright, embroidered figure. The golden lad grasped it like a sword and used it to cut through the threads of the carpet that held him fast. Once he was free, he and the flying carpet both assumed their proper size. The fairy shrieked in rage and disappeared in a shower of mist. 
The soldier and the princess jumped on the flying carpet as it went by, reunited with the golden lad. The fine sword that the boy held transformed back into a needle, much to his initial disappointment. Then he saw the needle blaze like a match, a fiery city appearing once again on its point. The soldier took one of the now empty boxes that had held the other needles and put that one inside it and closed it like a locket. The princess took a tress of her hair and braided it into a strong length, running it through a clasp on the side of the little box. The soldier and the princess gave the little box to the golden lad who put it around his neck. Immediately he changed back into Ivan and the soldier laughed, patting his friend on the back and saying, Take care of your death from now on, my friend, with a little luck as you are a brave soul and true. You'll only have but one. Silence initially greeted the end of Jack's story. Adeline cheers wildly, Isabel wrote. Yvonne showers Jack with wild stomping and whistling, Lucas said. Mara sends a deep, respectful bow. She had just seen how the old stories could be turned inside out. The Decameron shuffled. Two of clubs. Isabel would be up next week. There was a description of slow clapping. It was moot. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council. <laughs>